Hello and welcome to another episode of the Uncommon Energy Podcast. It feels like there is so much that has happened in the world of the Pokemon TCG in the last week since our last episode. We're going to be breaking it all down here, though. Definitely not going to be an episode that you want to miss. We're going to start off the show, of course, by talking about the LAIC finalist who admitted to cheating during the event. We'll be talking about the reveal of some new Scarlet and Violet cards, information about the standard format rotation coming next year, all that and more. We will, of course, have everyone's favorite segment, Guess That Flavor Text. And then to wrap it all up, we'll be talking about the Arlington Regional Championships, which are happening this coming weekend, we'll be giving our meta predictions, talking about what we think could do well and what decks we like, what decks we don't like, all of those things and more on this week's episode. My name is Chip Ritchie, and I'm joined here, as always, by my co-host, Azul GG. What's going on, man? How we doing, Azul? Doing good, doing good. Uh, another great week of streaming and making videos. Uh, same old for me, but yeah, looking forward towards a little bit of a break between tournaments, Toronto, Last weekend, weekend off, and now we got Dallas Regionals coming up. Or, or I keep calling it Dallas Regionals. Arlington is like super close to Dallas. Yeah. Dallas it's Regionals. <laughs> it's like always been Dallas Regionals like forever, yeah. <laughs> but now it's in Arlington. So we got to call it Arlington Regionals. Texas Arlington Regionals. Regionals. Texas Regionals coming up this weekend, which I will be uh, playing at. Uh, and you'll be playing as well, Chip. Uh, I bet you're excited to play in a regional. It's been a while. Um, how has your uh, how has been playing the game been going recently? I don't know how much you have been playing the game besides like this the pre preparation for this tournament. Yeah, no, it's great. It's definitely it's a different beast prepping for casting a tournament versus prepping for playing, right? Because to prep for casting, you just need to have like a really broad idea of the possible decks in the format and then pick the top few decks and like really dive into the deeper strategies. Right. But when it comes to prepping for an actual tournament, whenever you're trying to, you know, not only you're, you're having to deeply look at every single possible deck, like not just the top three decks. Like we've been looking at every single deck this past week. And it's been really interesting for me, uh, you know, cause in the past when I've played in regionals, I wasn't ever really part of a big, testing group i had like a couple friends who i would talk to and we wouldn't even necessarily all play the same deck you know grant and i have worked together a little bit in the past we played the same 60 to a couple of regionals but this is the first time this regionals um so, you know because i've you know the last year been casting everything this is going to be the first time for me that i'll have really prepped with a dedicated testing group and i really enjoyed that process so far for anyone who doesn't know i've been testing with azul and the crew everyone who he's been finding success with the past uh several months and yeah it's really interesting as like someone coming from the outside now getting into that circle seeing the whole process uh unfold and i'm excited to maybe talk about that maybe we'll talk about that in the future um maybe just like some of my perspective coming in but yeah, it's been fun, and uh, still don't know what we're playing, obviously. <laughs> you and I both know that, but um, looking forward to, you know, these last few days trying to really iron it out and figure out a good 60 for the event. Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting close, a couple ideas. Um, but, yeah, not quite not quite there quite yet, but that's usually how it goes. Usually the day before the tournament, maybe two days if it's we're lucky like before the tournament. It's just, like, everything's on yeah. the table, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, You treat everything as an option, unless you're, like, really trying to work on, like, a specific um like something specific and really trying to nail down like a perfect 60 of like a fresh 
a fresh idea, but those are a little bit far and few between in the current format. I feel like I feel like Sander took uh, kind of fleshed most of those out for everybody, and <laughs> there's not much left for anyone else to kind of come up with. Sander had to work really hard to come up with like the the Gengar thing last week. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, there's not too much new stuff to work on. It's just yeah, tr- trying everything out, trying to make sure you leave no stone unturned, kind of situation for sure. Um, but yeah, let's get into it. Speaking of uh, tournaments, uh, the uh, the finalist of LAIC, Lucas. I don't know how to pronounce the last name. Calza. How do you pronounce the last name? Galza. Calza. Uh, admitted Calza. Yeah. Lucas Cal. I guess actually, if I just read it, I would have been able to do it, but it was loading. <laughs> it's, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. Lucas Calza admitted to cheating in day two of LAIC, I think, uh, against uh, Julius. Day two, round four, admitted to palming a card. Uh, and yeah, I don't know if you want to go read through the read through the tweets real fast, ship that we, of all the information that we have. Uh, now on the situation. Yeah, what we're looking at here on the screen is Alberto Conti's tweet, who's a fellow Italian player and former friend of Lucas, former teammate of Lucas. Um, and Alberto's just saying that, you know, he's not, he you know, he doesn't want anything to do with Lucas anymore, kind of like stepping away from that, you know, partnership as and friendship as a Pokemon player. But his tweet just has a screenshot of Lucas's tweets, which Lucas has now deactivated his Twitter. And uh, in in Lucas's tweets, he did admit to exactly what happened. He said, no excuses and don't try to justify. I palm a card in one game in LAIC. I'm not proud of that. And from that moment, I understand that I have to leave this game. Playing with stress and anxiety is not correct, but this is not to justify myself. My behavior was simply disgusting. Not proud of myself. I was thinking about confess this from the first day I came home. Nothing can justify. I will quit entirely and take all consequences. So there's been a lot of discussion (laughs) around this, obviously. I mean, this is a very high-profile player from Europe, someone who, like, I wasn't super familiar with until the last few months or so. You know, he's been doing very well in Europe, top eight at regionals, top 16 at the World Championships, and now second place at LAIC. And it turns out... You can't really, now that this has come out, it's hard to look at those accomplishments and have any sort of respect for them because there's a chance, like, if he did this at LAIC, you got to wonder somewhere along the way, was this still happening elsewhere? Yeah, especially because, you know, Arc Intel, top 16 with Arc Intel? I don't think so. <laughs> Called out! <laughs> no, I'm joking. I mean, this from from what I, from from the information we have and what we can see, I would, I would be, I think it would be a fair assumption to assume this is maybe... Lucas's first time ever cheating. Of course, we'll never know for sure, and you shouldn't take it at uh, face value as far as that goes. Or if, like Lucas said, this is the first and only time they've ever cheated. Um, obviously, from what Lucas tweeted, it sounds like they don't ever plan to play the game ever again. Um, but you never know. And of course, there's also the the question of what will happen. What will Pokemon do specifically? But um, um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if this was based on you know information we have. The tweets itself from from uh, from Lucas that this was maybe their only time that they ever cheated. Of course, you can never know for sure. So I do think when someone comes forward or something like this happens, and it's pretty much, I mean, it doesn't get more confirmed than this that someone did cheat. You definitely have to wipe the slate clean, right? You have to take away all their accomplishments accomplishments up to that point. Um, I once they're confirmed cheating in the game, that's just kind of what you have to do. I think for sure. If they do come back, if they ever come back, I'm sure they'll receive some kind of ban from Pokemon. That'd be my guess. And if they ever make a comeback, um, you know, that's, they have to kind of start from scratch and, and reprove themselves as a player. 
Yeah, and I don't. Th well, we'll never see a public statement from Pokemon on this. They don't. This could do be the first that. time, though. I, I mean, no, it's not it's an opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> there is an opportunity, but I'm not holding my breath for it because Pokemon just does not make public statements on these types of issues. I wouldn't be surprised to see Lucas's name end up on the ban list at some point, which is a list that only like the top level of tournament organizers actually even have access to. But um, yeah, I would I think the ban list I, is available to any organizer. Like you just have yeah. to be. I think yeah maybe so maybe so i think you have to be like a stage one organizer but i don't know if there's like a I think you have to be a to i don't even know if you have to be a to you maybe you just have to pass the judge thing i don't actually know because well, no, i'm a judge or i used to be i don't know if i think my like eligibility for it has maybe lapsed but i was a judge and i didn't have access to it okay yeah so i, I mean do it does you always be, you do have to be an organizer yeah, you do have to be an organizer. It does always get leaked eventually. Whenever someone new joins the ban list, there'll be some tweets out there with, uh, you know, the updated uh, whatever picture of the ban list with the new the new players who have made their way yeah. onto it. So I'm sure when it happens, everyone will know <laughs> that Lucas is officially banned. So um, it always makes its way out. Uh, and what I'm interested yeah. in too, which we probably won't know about, is I mean, obviously, for getting second place at LAIC, if you're getting second place at internationals, you get five thousand dollars, which is you know, yeah, not a small sum of money, and that doesn't get paid out immediately. It usually takes a few weeks, maybe a month or two, to get all that paid out. Sometimes a few months even <laughs> to get. They've been your... pretty. They've been pretty good about it recently, but this one is through. Uh, it's not through the normal way that TPCI runs things. It's through. Uh, the way Copag does it, so that has in the past has taken longer. So this one would maybe take a while. So I'm kind of curious to see if maybe he get like does he get the second place title stripped from him? He's admitted to cheating at this tournament. Like you can't necessarily strip top sixteen worlds, top eight. I mean, as a community, you can't. You can say like, hey, we're not going to really recognize these things anymore. But yeah, he has admitted that at LAIC where he had a deep run at the tournament. I mean, he went nine zero in day one as well. So you have to wonder maybe somewhere along the way did something happen. Obviously, this is the one instance that he has admitted to. I do think that from what I understand in the situation, um, Alberto, who we mentioned earlier, noticed something and asked him about it afterwards. And that's when Lucas admitted to it, you know, maybe after the tournament, something like that. I don't know if it was after the round that it happened in, but uh, um, I mean, yeah, there was some there's some tweets under the initial tweets where Alberto says uh, someone asks, uh, what did you guys find out about the cheating? Alberto said he told us yesterday, uh, right before my first tweet, um, but then says, because I was watching the game versus Julius from a far away during LAIC, I saw that he kept looking left and right. And then his deck searches took ages. Unfortunately, I didn't catch the exact moment, but I, of course, asked him right after the match uh, and he acted super weird. So it sounds like right after the match at LAIC. Alberto confronted Lucas because Lucas was acting weird. Lucas acted weird, but it doesn't it doesn't sound like admitted to cheating until recently. But it does sound like Lucas came forward by himself uh, and was like and couldn't, you know, just couldn't sleep at night. Right. Like couldn't sleep at night because of the fact that of that he cheated and uh, told his friends and teammates and then came out about it on Twitter. And then there was, the, yeah, the follow up tweets, I think, from Alberto as well. And that's uh, that seems like how it goes. We don't have the full information. But from what I can tell, that sounds like how uh, the kind of the timeline adds up. Yeah. And so for anyone who's unsure exactly what palming a card means, usually people talk about it from like uh, palming a card from your discard pile. So like if you've used a boss's orders early in the game and it's like, mm, I would could really use a boss's orders now to close things out while your opponent isn't quite paying attention 
people who would cheat and try to take advantage of this would try to slip that card from their discard pile quickly into their hand while their opponent try to catch their opponent not noticing. Um, and I, yeah. I read, I can't find the tweet right now, but I feel like I read somewhere as well that Lucas is like uh, an illusionist on the side or something like that. Like he, yeah, like a magic does magic tricks or something. Yeah, somebody in my chat said that the other day too. Yeah, so he like apparently is experienced with like deception and stuff like that. So I mean, it would theoretically be pretty easy for him to. <laughs> finagle a card either out of his deck out of his discard pile wherever i mean you can palm a card from anywhere i guess right um yeah <laughs> like you bring that up reminds me of uh who was the player who was like accused of cheating in top eight naic uh and they brought like a magician to like somehow prove <laughs> it was magnus you peterson this? it was magnus peterson. oh yeah <laughs> Yeah, I don't remember the situation. I'm not. I don't, I'm not trying to call out Magnus, but I think. But that's. I remember hearing the story, and it was just so bizarre. I was like, "What does that have to do with anything?" Yeah, um, it was. I think in Magnus's defense, this is a really old story. It's like at Worlds 2019, I think. It was NAIC. NAIC in 2019? Yeah. yeah, one of those big tournaments because it was Magnus's first year as a master. He'd won Worlds and Seniors the year before. Um, and he said, like, that Pokemon consulted with an illusionist or a magician and said, like, they were trying to see if Magnus was stacking his deck. And the apparent resolution was that the magician said that Lucas was not or that Magnus was not stacking his deck, that he just got really lucky. Now, I don't like I'm I don't think Magnus would make that up. I'm sure someone told him that along the way. I've never seen an on-hand magician at a Pokemon event. I don't know if you have, Azul. Like, they keep them on. <laughs> I've never seen one backstage one just of the waiting judges? in the wings to get called out, right? <laughs> was it one of the judges, or was it... Uh, I don't even know. I don't know. Like, exactly. There was another There was another there was a magic convention going on <laughs> in the same hall. <laughs> they just went and picked up five magicians, and were like, all right, let's see what the magicians think. <laughs> Did this guy stack his deck? No, he's just very lucky. Yeah, but then it's interesting, like, you kind of like what you said uh, before about Lucas. Like, is Pokemon not going to ban him because they didn't catch him and their judges weren't, don't have proof that he cheated? Like, him coming forwards and saying, I cheated. I mean, I don't know, man. It doesn't even matter anymore. Like, Zachary Cooper didn't get banned, and he got disqualified from an AIC for palming a card, right? Like, that's yeah. Pokemon catching him, and he didn't get banned. So, like, no, if I'm, Pokemon I'm just didn't curious. ban him, are they going to ban this guy? I don't think so. I don't know, because like we had like, you know, Nick Moffat come out um, a little while ago and bring up that he cheated a while ago. Um, and, like and I thought something might have. Yeah. Wait, like a while ago. Um, and I thought something might have come of that. It didn't seem I mean, nothing's come of that. Nick's still playing an event. And I don't think Nick is like cheating still um, or anything like that. But um, but I thought something might have come of that. And Pokemon might have given him like a year ban or a three month ban. Um, and I do think for Lucas's situation, um, of course, like Lucas could have been cheating a lot this whole time uh but you can really only work with what which, with what you know and i do think people in general deserve second chances right so it's definitely very possible lucas cheated this one time came forward about it uh sounds like lucas plans on never playing the game again um but i think if pokemon gave him uh, a year ban and then he came back and played i think that would be fine personally and of course if you, if you cheat again after that uh it's a perma ban but i think you know the second chance is I mean, wanted I or that's like fine in theory but it just hasn't happened like that like pokemon just hasn't been banning people <laughs> they don't even do the first ban to begin yeah, with yeah yeah they just haven't been doing it so i don't know i i think if there was like a system in place similar to that sure i guess but then it's like you're almost if you're saying like 
if we get catch you cheating, you're going to get a year ban. It's like some player is probably going to be out there and like run the gauntlet and just be like, yeah, you know what? Let's run it and see if I get caught. If I don't, you know, easy dubs. If I do, you know what? It's just a year. No big deal. I'll serve my sentence and come back. So it's like you can't really incentivize it like that either. That's fair. If you put like a if you put like a standard on it. Well, yeah. I mean, they don't have to say anything. I just think in these situations, it shouldn't be. I don't know. I just think in these situations, it, it shouldn't be a perma ban. But I don't know. Maybe it should. Maybe Pokemon thinks it should. Uh, maybe I could definitely be convinced otherwise, I think, as well. But that's just, like, my viewpoint on it, like, from from the information I have as, as far as this situation goes. And most situations like this, like, if someone gets caught cheating uh, or they cheat, especially in, like, the situation where it seems like he came forward um, and it was his decision to, you know, be, like, uh, honest about the situation, even if it was after the fact, you know, quite a bit after the fact, you know, that still, I think, speaks a lot to his character overall or trying to grow as a person or be a better person, whatever, so... For someone like Lucas, I would like to see them, you know, if if he wants to come back and play, I think there should be an initial ban for sure of at least a year. Uh, and then if he wants to come back and play after that, I think he should be allowed. Personally, that's just like my uh, take on it. But yeah, I don't know if he's going to, I doubt he'll receive like any of the prize money or um, maybe, I, I mean, I guess he has his trophy, but <laughs> I remember, <laughs> probably doesn't feel like he deserves it anymore. I mean, if anyone remembers back at Worlds in 2018, I pulled out the Worlds booklet for this. In Worlds 2018, the second place player was removed from the booklet. <laughs> There's literally just a blank line in place of his name because he was discovered to have been stacking his deck after the tournament was all said and done. And I believe, I mean, I feel like I remember a story back then in 2018 of him not receiving his prize money and maybe even being reached out to and asked to send the prizing that he received back, like his trophy and playmat and cards and all that stuff. I don't know if... <laughs> I, I tried to find the post on it. I, I remember, I feel like I remember reading in like Verbank City or Hey Fonte, one of the Facebook groups about it, but he must have deleted the post. But yeah, yeah, I, I remember I think watching the go ahead. The, I remember watching the clip for that one, but don't remember like I was feeling like, oh yeah, he definitely cheated. Do you remember watching the clip? Um, I feel like I watched Grant watch it recently, like on his stream, because whenever, mm -hmm. um, some other i think like some other cheating thing happens like you know these things happen once a month it feels like right uh he was like <laughs> someone had him like linked it to him and he went back and was watching it and the clip from the youtube video um i don't think shows it like incredibly clearly because during his shuffle the like questionable shuffle that happened um during the questionable shuffle that happened the camera cuts away to like his face Mm -hmm. so i don't know if they had like a feed from one of the cameras that was like constantly going and yeah maybe reviewed that footage and deemed that he cheated in that way but i don't know regardless that one definitely felt like uh that one definitely felt like a situation where it was like so they were like sus on him but they didn't think for sure he was cheating so they had to let him keep playing the tournament until they finally got him in the finals and at that point it was like kind of all over but they were like okay this is enough to actually for us to to you know that we think we warrant you know he's definitely cheating perma ban you know whatever that's what that's the way that situation felt to me it felt like maybe by in top eight or in the later rounds they were like hmm something sus about this guy like someone got someone someone was watching him play or something like something sus we should watch him and then they like watched him but they didn't have enough on him until basically the tournament was already over and then that's when they were finally like all right yeah 
hate him. I don't know, man. It, it gets really discouraging to me the more and more. Like, I'm someone like you. Like, I think people deserve second chances. And I really do like to believe in the good of humanity, right? That most people <laughs> out there yeah. are not out to cheat against you, which is true. Just, like, by the numbers, the majority of people you're playing against Ask majority. do Ask not majority. want to cheat against you. But it's like, it's, these stories just come out of nowhere. And it's like people you wouldn't have expected. The main takeaway for anyone listening, if you're playing in a Pokemon tournament, just watch your opponent. You know, if you see something weird, call a judge, cut your opponent's deck, shuffle your opponent's deck, do all of these things. Mix yourself up between cutting, shuffling and tapping as well. Like, yeah. don't don't cut in the same spot every single time because people who stack their deck will try to utilize that against you. And yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's really disheartening. I, I hate it so much. And it really is just, it's just a bummer, man. It, it really does put a downer on the feel of the community, to be honest. And uh, it sucks that it's a part of what we have to deal with as Pokemon players. But the best thing you can do as a listener, as a Pokemon player, is just be vigilant and watch your opponent. And if you see anything weird, call a judge. Don't be afraid to call a judge at all. Yeah, it definitely does suck. And I feel like as the game, like we've seen like a huge, uh, you know, growth in the game as far as the player base goes i feel like that's kind of an unfortunate um you know it's something that unfortunately comes with the game getting so much bigger is there's just going to be more cheaters right isn't that just kind of yeah like, i feel like from people just kind of coming in like other like people who are like um uh, like there was that one uh there's that one player a while ago who didn't kick they were definitely cheating um and it took a while but they actually got caught the way the reason they got banned is because they stole someone's deck not actually for cheating <laughs> um oh but, i know who you're talking about yeah yeah but i feel like you'll have players like that who come in from other card games like none none specific but or like people who even come in from stuff like you know you could just have people who come in from other other like strategy games like poker or chess or anything like that and then they just be like well I can I understand how Pokemon works and I can definitely cheat at it till I'm banned. So I'm just gonna go over, play Pokemon and cheat at it till I'm banned, right? Like that's like a thing that that people could do, right? You know, just have fun with it because they don't care about the game. So when they get banned, they're just gonna stop playing. But if they know people in the game, um, or they just pick up the cheapest good deck and just like show up to a couple Pokemon tournaments in a row and just cheat until they get banned, like and we're just gonna have more of that because of you know the community's just getting bigger, which is just yeah, kind of an unfortunate part of the game growing. We all want the great game to grow and get as big as possible. You know, we want to try and have those two thousand, three thousand person person events in North America eventually at some point. That would be sick if we could kind of match uh match Japan's if numbers. They get enough tough. event space for it. <laughs> That'll be the tickets. first thing. Yeah, yeah that, I guess it's gonna be coming with it, right? It's gonna be more cheaters, right? It's still again, once again, the vast majority, whatever, whether it's a hundred to one, a thousand to one, whatever, it'll continue to be that ratio of you know players who aren't looking to cheat against you versus players looking to cheat against you but that will kind of increase the number of you know those overall players which does kind of suck i guess but yeah it's kind of there's just shitty people out there some of them yeah. are in the pokemon tcg cheating yeah. <laughs> it's definitely a bummer well let's dive in to this next segment where we'll talk about all of the news coming out with new scarlet and violet cards and there is like so much to cover here um there's new cards revealed. We've got information about the rotation date, all kinds of stuff. So we're just start off by looking at the announcement over on the Pokemon website featuring a Coridon EX and Miradon EX 
to basic Pokemon EX. That's, of course, going to be the new mechanic this generation. And we did also get the official uh, release date of Scarlet and Violet base set. Um, but one of the biggest changes that I think a lot of people were super pumped about, I'm not sure if this is something you really care about that much as well, cause you just kind of like play the I cards. was excited about it. I okay. was excited about it. <laughs> one of the biggest changes is that the yellow border that has always been around American Pokemon cards, around the Western super part of the ugly. world Pokemon cards is gone. The yellow border is dead and we will now have a silver border on cards, which is in line to what is on Japanese Pokemon cards, which I'm, I'm pumped about. I think Azul sounds like he's pumped about it. I was just, I wasn't expecting him to be caring about it too much, but <laughs> <laughs> the community as a high. whole, I, I think every, I have not seen anyone who dislikes this change so far. Yeah, you'd have to be crazy to dislike the change, or just someone who just like dislikes stuff or dis. There's just people out there who just like, oh, everyone likes this. I dislike this. You know what I'm saying they like going against the grain. I did um, see something super funny, sick. Uh, like on a Facebook post, like a Kotaku Facebook article link that mentioned this change like and you just get some funny people on facebook man and one of the people in their replies was like this will just make the yellow border cards more valuable in the future <laughs> that was, was it their, they say that that was like a bad thing that was their takeaway i guess i guess which okay. has I, no the reason, impact <laughs> the reason i'm excited about it because it does suggest the possibility of our cards being as high of quality as the japanese cards right like they are making a change in the border why not also make the change and the kind of upgrade the card quality because japanese cards are definitely higher quality than much. the uh much higher quality than the the uh, the non-japanese cards right because like yeah because even every, every everywhere else in the world has the same thing that we have in america so or english cards whatever you want to call it all the english cards if, you, if they're not japanese cards they suck actually there i mean there might be some other cards out there that are a little bit different like i think Lorelei all of the cards that are made by tpci so like the, uh, the yeah. western part of the world yeah yeah that's it the americas europe africa like that the russia like the whole western part of the world that's not asia pretty much yeah yeah because i think there are some other like maybe like korean cards or something like yeah. that because i've definitely seen that like those might be yes. of similar quality to japanese cards but uh yeah english cards suck in comparison and i like interact with japanese cards a decent amount because lorelei is opening them all the time so i like no i'm oh every time i see her open like new japanese cards or i open a pack of japanese cards like there's just so much better man it just sucks every time i open one, i just get sad <laughs> every time i interact with japanese cards i just get sad because the hollows look better the finish on them looks better the, the they don't feel as different from hollow to non-hollow cards as well they feel like closer in thickness like everything about them is just better so hopefully yeah, that's, that's what I'm most excited for is that them giving us the silver borders means they're making a change to the overall just cards for a long time, presumably. And hopefully that includes a upgrade in the quality of the cards. But I guess we'll have to wait and see when we get the first packs of Scarlet and Violet, which is now we know uh, quite a ways away because the, the set plans to release, what is it, end of March, right? March 31st. Yeah. It's like a very end of March. So. so that'll be out end of March and the TCG standard format rotation will take place two weeks later, April 14th, 2023. So we'll talk about that a little bit more later on. But uh, for now, other things I did want to mention, uh, you know, we've got the new basic energy look and the basic energy does have the energy symbol in the bottom corner. It also now says basic fire energy on the actual card instead of just being a picture of an energy card. Maybe they found that was something that was confusing for players from time to time, I guess. 
not knowing what a basic energy was versus regular energy. I feel like that's something you learn pretty quickly though when you're learning the Pokemon TCG. So maybe feels a little redundant, but you know it's here. I, it does it does say basic energy two times. It says basic energy, energy, and then basic fire energy with the fire symbol. Like it's just <laughs> it's all over. <laughs> like why do we need to see it this many times? What the card is? I don't. Know, I kind of like the look. Uh, maybe they could have done like. I don't know, but basic energy. I mean, imagine this card. Energy, but and then just put the fire. I don't actually know. To be honest, it's just, yeah. I didn't think, I liked the look of it, but I didn't actually read. And even in the bottom right corner, now there's a fire symbol. Yes. Of the. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's making sure you don't miss it. But I overall like the look of it, I guess. It would have actually, you know what would have been cool? Is if it was just, a, it was, they took all the words off it and it was just a, kind of made it like, is that what lands look like in magic? No. But it was literally just like just the image of the fire energy. So it was just all red. Besides the silver border, it was just red and the fire symbol in the middle. And that was it. Yeah. That would actually look clean. That would look super clean. I mean, that's kind that. of what the like sword and sh or like sun and moon era energies kind of looked like that. I don't know. Honestly, most energies kind of look like that now. Like but they still have the thing on the top. Yeah. But that's just like we, that. we've saying, just like, added. We've added so much for no reason. <laughs> yeah. We'll get like. rid of all of it on the top, all of it on the bottom. I don't know. I like the mix up. It looks different, which always makes things feel fresh. So I think this is better than if they just did like the exact same thing, to be honest. It's a slight improvement, but they should try it my way next time. <laughs> Fire my energy is the best way. way. Yes. Yeah, I was trying to find someone sent me something about. Um, cause I was curious if Japan rotates at the same time as us, and I don't think they do. I think they rotate in January. Well, they're getting I'm the set. Uh, they already have a Turnitus. They already, they already have a, what's it called? They have Amazing what? Rare Turnitus. They have Amazing Rare Turnitus. Right? Yeah, yeah, but we're getting that. Radiant like, Turnitus. Yeah, they're getting that in, like, we're getting that in uh, Crown Zenith, assumedly, right? So. I don't know. Um, like they, they, their Scarlet Violet base set, I think, comes out in February or something like that. Uh, but something else I did want to mention as well, and this is, I think, definitely something Azul does not care about, um, is someone was pointing out on Twitter, if you look at the Professor's Research cards that they revealed, Professor Research, Sada, and Toro, uh, if you look at the set number in the bottom corner, Professor Research, Professor Turo is number 190 out of 198, meaning there's only eight more cards towards the end of the set. And normally towards the end of the set is where full art cards would be. So people are speculating that this means that now full art cards will be at after the set, meaning they'll be like a secret rare rarity, which would be on par with what they are in Japan. So there's a chance that is the case. Regardless... I mean, if there's no full arts in this set, 109, like if there's no full arts in the main set, if they're, they are secret rares, 198 main set cards is massive. I mean, isn't that on par though for like other sets? What well, is... no, because usually there's like 15 full arts at the end of the set. So now it's okay, like so even have a little bigger. Yeah. yeah. So like, well, I mean, that's I didn't know that about Japan. I didn't know in Japan that their full arts were outside of the set number. Yeah, their full um, art, all of their full arts are secret rares. Okay, so that sounds like we're going to be following the same trend then, which is good. Once again, us following what Japan does because the game is made in Japan, and anything that they do, we should do, including rotation and when we get sets and all that stuff, uh, is good. So if this is a, once again getting us closer to just kind of copying Japan, then I that that sounds like a good thing to me. Even though it's kind of like an irrelevant thing for especially for competitive, right? Yeah. Um I'll be I'm interested sure to see collectors care, but 
I do hope that this means that we'll because there's just too many different rarities of cards right now. We've got the yeah. basic V, <laughs> the full art, the rainbow rare, and then alternate arts. Like it's just too much. And then the on. gold, then there's like the gold, yeah. and there's the alternate alternate arts in like future I'm sets. We've at least killed the rainbow rare. I think everyone unanimously oh gosh, is like so disgusting. Get rid of the rainbow rares. Get them out of you, here. It was hype though when it when they first came out. I wasn't hype about them, but people liked them. And people will go out of their way to make their decks yeah, rainbow rare over full art. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I feel like, yeah, after like a couple of years, it's been like, yeah, everyone thinks that full art, like my rainbow rare, like when I when I bought Duraludons at the beginning of when Duraludons first came out, rainbow rares were cheaper than any other artwork. Like nobody wanted them. So I have the only rainbow rares I have, like I usually go min rarity on everything, unless it's cheaper, because that's usually, that's why I go min rarity, because it's cheaper. Because uh, it makes no sense for me to buy the more expensive cards when I play like so many different decks all the time. Um, so I always go with the cheapest one. I was like, well, the Rainbow Wars are the cheapest ones. I may as well save a couple bucks here and get these over the regular artwork ones. Oh, they're so gross, um, though. Yeah, the all funny... the stuff is uh, potentially good. Yeah, if we're getting closer, like I said, if we're getting closer to what Japan's doing, I think that's best for the game in general. I, one more thing about the Rainbow Rares, because they came out in the Sun and Moon era, and I remember streaming, playing Metagross GX... And I, at one point, for my six Pokemon in play, I had four Metagross, one Solgaleo GX, and one Tapu Lele GX. And they were all six Rainbow Rare. And someone came into my stream and said, Chip, I have no idea what any of your Pokemon are. Because <laughs> it's just all white cards. You can't see. Yeah. <laughs> you can't tell what's happening. Um, so after that, I started using Full Arts. And <laughs> instead, people can keep track a little easier. But... Yeah, um, I definitely had a, a couple misclicks throughout my time on PTCJ where I brought up the wrong rainbow rare yeah, for my opponent's yeah. bench. They all kind of meld together. Another thing I wanted to mention here that's mentioned in this uh, post over on the Pokemon site is that the MSRP for Pokemon products is going to be increasing, which I don't think should be a surprise. And I think this is something that has been known for a while at the distributor level. Like, I remember watching a video from uh, Danny O, like a month or two ago about this that like distributors knew mm -hmm. that msrp was going to be going up and this is something that's happened a few times over the years it used to be like 299 and then 329 and then 349 389 399 on and on until now the msrp for a booster pack is going to be increasing from 399 to 499 but with this there is going to be a change and they're post in here does say in an effort to continue providing a positive pokemon tcg experience and value each pack of pokemon cards will now feature three guaranteed foil cards per booster as opposed to the current one guaranteed foil card per booster which is your reverse hollow oh um, so it went from one to three not two to three yeah because you can get a regular rare that's not a hollow right now right uh but that doesn't really it says foil cards so that means reverse hollows right so we're just gonna get more reverse hollow uncommons and commons probably potentially so we don't know exactly what the breakdown is going to be mm. and then this also says all cards with a rarity of rare or higher will now be foil so there's no more non-hollow rares they're all going to be hollow rares or bigger there could be some sort of new rarity right so my prediction would be like we get a regular reverse hollow spot so it could be a common uncommon rare whatever reverse hollow and then two maybe i don't know maybe it's two reverse hollow spots and one of those two reverse hollow spots has like a chance to be a trainer gallery card or something like that and then one yeah. that's guaranteed to be a hollow rare 
I don't know. But I do think, I do want to commend, It's it, we're pretty critical of the Pokemon company for a lot of things, and I think rightfully so in a lot of places. But this is a very good thing in my mind, because, you know, inflation is happening around the world. Yeah. It affects everything. Rather than just increasing the price of the product and keeping it exactly the same, Pokemon did take the opportunity to, since they were having to increase the price of the product, okay, let's find a middle ground and increase the quality of the product a little bit as well. So... Yeah, you know, yeah. even off to Pokemon for that. Even Big Peak, Big Pikachu is not immune to inflation. <laughs> yeah. And hopefully, this does come with like hopefully increased quality of the cards themselves. That is possible that with this price hike, you know, maybe 10, 10, 10 cents per pack is all it takes to increase the quality of all the cards in the pack. And maybe they will, or five cents, whatever it might be, maybe they'll put that five cents to the pack and help us get to the, the level that the, the Japanese cards are at. That would be sick. That's something like I mean that's like another thing to kind of maybe or like push towards that like that's what it seems you know, um so hopefully hopefully so let's look at some of the cards that were revealed so we did see professors research and professor uh, professors research Sada and Toro in yep. this initial reveal so that is you know discard your hand draw seven similar to what we had be, for years and years and years that was to be like expected I feel like at this point like it felt like yeah. they were gonna give give and and I don't think it's. I would prefer if research wasn't a card in the format, I think, overall, with how it interacts with the Pokemon card game on average. Some formats feel better than others, but it does seem like they are trying to give themselves a baseline to work with to build the game around, which should lead to theoretically better and more balanced, enjoyable formats, right? When they're not constantly switching up the supporter pool and rotations aren't hitting uh, the formats in funky ways, it's going to be a little bit more consistent across the board. That means the cards that they build around the idea of the tempo of the game uh, will theoretically be more consistent as well right so i don't hate the idea of it sticking around um, as long like as it actually leads to that cards, happening cards cards that are always in format right yeah yeah but if if it just devolves into every single deck playing for research and everyone trying to play as many researches as fast as they can then we will probably have a problem but we, ha we we currently have research in the format and it hasn't been like that way for a while so yeah i think that yeah the the past six months or so is proof of yeah, just because research is in the format doesn't mean every deck has to play four of. There's so many different unique supporter options out there. I mean, I think that is in large part due to the Intellian engine and then just the power of draw abilities like Genesect, right? So, I don't know. The Lost Zone. The Lost Zone helped out a lot for sure as well. Yeah, so they're, um, they're, they're showing that even... Maybe it's an okay card to just exist always as long as there's other powerful options so it doesn't devolve to the point of where things were kind of in like 2016, 2017 where you were playing four research in every deck automatically. Every deck automatically had eight cards minimum figured out for research for Ultra Ball. There was no discussion there. Like that was happening yeah, in yeah. every deck. Yeah, but it definitely feels a little bit different in this uh, this format as well. But yeah, speaking of Ultra Ball, that also got reprinted. Uh, alongside some other familiar faces in the Energy Search, Pokemon Catcher, and Crushing Hammer. And I believe Boss's Orders was already revealed earlier. Not uh, in the Scarlet well. Violet era, but it's just the the um, Cyrus Boss's it'll survive, Orders. It'll survive rotation. Yeah, it'll right? survive rotation. We have okay, not but it seen might a, not be. Yeah, we have not seen a G regulation mark Boss's Orders yet, but okay. I feel like it's coming. Um, yeah, and then definitely the uh, the biggest reprint of them all, uh, and we knew something like this was probably coming. They did give us Ultra Ball, but they also reprinted Nest Ball, which I'm sure is a card. Actually, quite a few of you out there who are listening don't have no clue what it does, uh, but it was printed back in Sun and Moon era, which was what, 2017, 2018? Yeah, it was printed in 2017, yeah. 
Yeah, which is a Pokemon item card that searches your deck for a basic Pokemon, but it puts it onto your bench. So um, definitely a little bit different than something like Quick Ball. But I was actually thinking recently having this and Quick Ball in the format is going to make for some pretty aggressive decks, I feel like. Well, early the on thing until is, Quick is Ball rotates. Same format as a Wait, does Quick Ball rotate the off the? Quick Ball rotates. Oh, yes. okay. They already they they were on top of it. See, they're on top of it. They already know what's up, which is good because having both those in the format sounds like it could have been a little bit ridiculous for stuff like Lost Box. Um, actually, Nest Ball with Lost Box actually still sounds kind of insane. I'm wondering if good. we're gonna see people like maybe this is the push we needed to have people just remove Battle VIP Pass from their decks. Oh, let's go! <laughs> okay, I'm down for that. I'm down. I like that ship. Yes, we can let's play just go. four Nest Ball a card that consistently the entire game gets you a basic Pokemon. Get those VIP passes out of here, and then you still have your four Ultra Balls, which is also just boosted search options. So I don't know. I'm I'm a fan. I'm interested Nestball sounds to see... insane with Lost Zone decks. Holy moly, that yes. sounds so good. <laughs> Nestball is definitely going to be good for the, for the yeah, Lost Yeah, super powerful. VIP super pass powerful is probably still great. really good in the Lost Zone decks, though, to be fair. Yeah. Play both. Probably. You can do it all. Probably. Yeah, you can do it probably. all. Um, um, one thing to note, though, it's like Nestball does put the Pokemon directly onto your bench. So something like Lumineon V, for example, you wouldn't get to use its ability. So that'll make for some interesting deck building choices moving forward. Um, especially if these are the two search cards in the format, Nest Ball and Ultra Ball. Um, I would just imagine most decks will probably play both of them in some count, yeah. right? Yeah, probably like four of each in most decks or, you know, four Ultra Ball if you're heavier on like Crobat, Luminian kind of stuff, a little bit less on the Nest Ball. But it depends on what kind of deck you're building to begin with. But, but yeah, definitely nice to see. Uh, I mean, I, I, yeah, I don't really have any critique on the, the letting Nest Ball too much. They did have to give us some kind of more Pokemon search. We haven't seen any... Uh, kind of evolution specific search yet i mean the ultra ball can find anything but we haven't seen evo incense evo yeah. sodas anything like that we haven't seen anything like that yet i'm sure we'll get something like that eventually uh, it might not be in the initial base set but i'm sure down the line they'll probably give us some kind of more aggressive evolution searching card because uh so far they've only been giving us uh supporters yeah just supporters which we'll talk about before we do that though let's scroll down a little bit and talk about the ex's that were revealed uh because maridon and Coridon have both officially been revealed, as well as Arcanine EX, which has the Terrastal power, Terrastal trait, something like that. We'll talk about it, though. Let's start off with the Miridon and Coridon. I think both of these cards are really solid, kind of on par with what we've come to expect from the, the poster legendaries of the generations, right? If we think back over the last few years, all of them have been pretty good with the... Like, Zamazenta and Zacian were both good. So Galio, Lunala, not the best. So Galio was okay. Lunala was not great. Um, but We've then Xerneas EX though. and Evil Tall EX were both pretty solid. Evil Tall definitely quite a bit better than Xerneas. Yeah. Uh, though Xerneas was played just a bit. But yeah, anyway. Miraidon EX will read the card real quick. It has the ability Tandem Unit. It's a basic lightning type Pokemon, by the way, in EX with 220 HP. Its ability Tandem Unit, once during your turn, you may search your deck for up to two basic lightning Pokemon and put them onto your bench. Then shuffle your deck, and then it has the attack Photon Blaster, 220 damage. This Pokemon can't attack during your next turn. So I think very good card. Obviously only works in Lightning decks, things that want to flood the board with Lightning Pokemon. So the natural partner, pretty much everyone has looked at with this, has been Flaffy, Mareep, and there was an Ampharos EX that was revealed as well. Yeah, so this one seems pretty good. Um... It's just going to be able to turbo out, set up your deck. You could even, like, 
like theoretically you could go like quick ball from a ride on ride on from a ride on plus a pokemon and then ride on for two more pokemon and you yeah. literally fill your bench off one quick ball but then you have two ride on ex in play and the attack yeah not that great right so the 220 only 220 hp you're probably not doing that you might play two of them so you don't prize the other one but yeah it is going to be a pretty aggressive way to set up and then also is like a reasonable attacker at some point in yeah, a game 220 right? is still a lot of damage for sure yeah and if v's are still part of the format you know 220 is enough to knock out basic V's, so you can be really aggressive with it. And there's a, a specific turbo item card that we'll talk about shortly that could combo well with this um, additionally. I mean, also, Maridon EX can go search out a couple Regieleki V, and those can become Regieleki V Max, which is going to boost your damage from <laughs> 220 yeah, up more to... and more. Yeah. Okay, so I kind of like that combo, actually, yeah. <laughs> and then we've got Coridon EX, a basic fighting-type Pokemon. This one with 230 HP. So I like to see that, a little variety between the basics. Not every single basic EX is going to have the same amount of hit points. I know the Mimikyu EX that got revealed during Worlds had 190 hit points, so I like to see the variety there. Uh, Coridon has the ability Dino Cry. You may use this ability once during your turn. If you do, your turn ends, but you attach up to two basic fighting energy from your discard pile to your basic fighting Pokemon in play. And then it has the wild impact attack, which for a fighting, fighting colorless deals 220 damage. This Pokemon can't attack next turn to retreat cost. This one is definitely, I think, weaker than Maridon, but it's still not bad. I mean, energy Excel is just like this card, I think... There's nothing that pairs with it super good right now, but I think there has to be a point where this card will see play. Maybe. I'm actually like, the fact that it ends your turn. I mean, if it didn't end your bro, turn, it'd be insane. You don't draw cards, but you like just yeah, double energy acceleration. Yeah, but so, to theoretically, you want to use this on turn one. So you right. would need to open a Pokemon. So you open a Pokemon, and then you need to get this in play. Two fighting energy and discard pile, and another Pokemon you want to put the energy no, on besides. Oh. For some reason, I thought this pulled the energy from your deck. Okay, yeah. No. This got, this got a lot worse. This got a lot worse. Yeah. So I could see it being good in like an initial, just like to set up initial tempo. Um, As long as you know, I mean, four Ultra Ball, that, if, as long as that's enough to get the fighting into the discard pile, um, I guess we'll still have like Greninja initially as well with concealed cards to draw cards and get energy in the discard pile. So like if like for initial tempo, it could be worth playing as like, as that that's the main part of your strategy. You do that initially, get going, and then you kind of go from there. But yeah. It's something where your deck has to be kind of feels like it has to be built around it to like do it turn one, right? Because otherwise, at that point, I'm not trying to end my turn in the middle of the game to get two fighting energy, right? No. Yeah, that's my mistake. I definitely thought that it pulled them <laughs> from your deck, but no, they have to come from your discard pile. Definitely makes it a bit worse. Yeah, and... not not quite as good. So yeah, Arcanine EX up next, and this is the first Pokemon we've seen, the only Pokemon we've seen with the Terrastal. Uh, attribute what do you even call this ability effect uh thing <laughs> it hasn't been revealed in english yet so we've just seen yeah. it officially revealed in japanese so maybe we'll see what the english team has translated it to <laughs> once once we get it but yeah so this one has the atrastral uh ability on it it's not an ability it's not a pokemon ability but it has like an extra effect on it that says while this pokemon is on your bench this is not an ability prevent all damage done to this pokemon by attacks uh, the next thing i want to mention about this uh is uh <clears throat> tuan lay tweeted or sub or tweeted after this tweet and was like the way the terrestrial mechanic is explained in the official reveal makes it sound like all terrestrial pokemon have the same bench damage preventing effect but i guess we'll have to wait and see 
what they really do with it, which would be terrible. That sounds like such a waste of an addition of a mechanic to the game to just make all of the terrestrials uh, prevent bench damage. I'm hoping it's only for... Because terrestrials terrestrializing your Pokemon in the video game changes their type, right? Yes. So I'm hoping that for each different one that would affect a type differently, it will have a different effect. That's a lot. So there won't be as much in the Pokemon TCG. They don't have to expand on it that much. But I'm hoping that there's more than just while this Pokemon's on your bench, it can't be hit by damage. That sounds like such an extreme waste of adding this new mechanic to just give a couple Pokemon bench barrier, right? Going over the rest of the card real fast, Fire Fire, Raging Claws, 30 plus 7 damage for each damage counter on this Pokemon. It does have 280 HP. And then for Fire Fire Fighter, two, Fire Fire Fire, 250, discard two Fire Energy from this Pokemon, 280 HP, the Arcanine EX. Uh, so with the choice weight, you're hitting 280. So its numbers are actually like pretty reasonable, to be honest, overall, right? But uh, yeah, what do you think about the Terrestrial chip? Yeah, I agree. It's going to be very disappointing if this is what we get. It's such a... <laughs> versatile mechanic in the video game because any Pokemon can become any Terrastal type. And I don't think that the middle ground is letting there be eight different Arcanine EXs that are all different types. Like, that just sounds like a nightmare to try to get all the cards for, right? Can you imagine if you're a competitive player and Arcanine EX is a meta card, but depending on the meta, you want a different type of Arcanine, so you have to order a playset of four Arcanine <laughs> EX for all eight different types. So I don't think that's going to happen. Maybe there will be some yeah, sort of tool card or something, which we'll talk about tool cards a little bit more shortly. Maybe there will be some sort of tool card that changes your Terra type or anything, something like that. I don't know. This definitely just feels saying, like, like how... a, a missed opportunity with where where what we know right now. Yeah, I was just saying like it, in from like some of the stuff from the poke, the video game to the Pokemon TCG, it's like. In the VGC, you'd be able to choose between these options, but in the Pokemon TCG, this Pokemon is forced into this thing. Does that make sense? I'm trying to like think of an example, but like, like, so this is like Arcanine, whatever, and it has. I mean, what Terrasol does this Arcanine theoretically have? Fire type, but it's already fire type. Yeah. Like that's what I'm saying. So like, if this one theoretically has the fire type Terrasol, every every other EX that theoretically has a fire type Terrasol also has the bench barrier but anyone that theoretically has like a lightning type terrestrial would like do i don't know minus one or tree cost for each energy attached to it or something right like just theoretically sure um that's what i'm saying like all the ones that would theoretically have the same one would have the same uh terrestrial attribute um but yeah hopefully they do more to it than just it's just such a disappointment i mean that's just a disappointment if that's the way it is <laughs> we don't know but that's what, yeah, that's what Tuan said, is that from the announcement video, is that what it, that's what it sounds like, is that they're all just going to be bench barrier, which that would be a massive, yeah, massive, massive lesson. And it could only be remedied by giving us similar quality cards to Japanese cards. And if they didn't do that, everyone would quit playing the Pokemon TCG. So they're done. You know, they, have two, they, they have two options here. <laughs> well, there's right, a few more cards we can talk about, a few more new reveals, different supporter cards. We can just kind of run through these. Um penny from scarlet violet one put one of your basic pokemon in play and all cards attached to it back into your hand this is definitely a solid card we'll certainly see play at some point obviously something like this can only be as good as the basic pokemon it can pick up right but there's plenty of options out there and i'm sure there will be plenty of options coming that make this card pretty solid 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, AZ Ace Aurora have been pretty big cards in the past, so definitely going to be a strong one for sure at some point. It is limited, though. So, I mean, it's sort yeah, of similar only to Sharon's Care being limited to just damaged colorless Pokemon, but Sharon's Care has obviously been very powerful in the right metas and the right archetypes. So this will be the same story for Penny for sure. Next up, we've got Arvin. Search your deck for one item and one Pokemon tool. Reveal them and put them into your hand. Now, you might be confused by the wording of this if you haven't heard the news yet, but Pokemon tools are actually going to be receiving an errata and will no longer be item cards. Pokemon tools will now be its own category of trainer cards. I do think they are still trainer cards, right? So... Yeah, yes. still trainer cards, yeah. but and it is, it's just called Pokemon. For some reason, I thought it was something else, but it's just called Pokemon Tool card, right? Yeah, it's just That's Pokemon, the name. Tool. Pokemon Tool. So th- this is what all Pokemon Tools will be printed as moving forward. They will no longer have the word item on them, and all existing Pokemon Tools are going to be receiving an errata to no longer be considered item cards. So now you're no longer going to be able to grab a tool card if you discard one off of a Pokestop, for example. But you can attach a Pokemon tool if your opponent just used Vikavolt V's Paralyzing Bolt attack and item locked you because your Pokemon tool is no longer an item. So it's a it's an okay little mix up. I don't know. What are your thoughts, Azul? Yeah, I mean, I've said it a couple times now. I don't think it matters. Like the they just wanted to change this about the game to give them it. It theoretically adds another layer to the game, right? Because it separates a kind of card into its own category. So the, like the the game actually gained depth right which is i think is something we should all want uh up to an extent right we don't want this pokemon tcg to be the hardest pokemon the hardest tcg to ever play but theoretically they did add a layer to the game by doing this which should theoretically add a little bit more depth in situational situations uh, around stuff like item lock or stuff like that um so overall i think it's just a plus and and even past that it overall just doesn't kind of doesn't matter too much because like that's just what they're going to balance the game around now is when they make new cards they'll have the idea of item cards and tool cards being separate and that won't really change how they balance the game if that makes sense like it's just yeah. there's no point in there's no point in like worrying about it or like um yeah it's, it, it's, it basically can never be a bad thing if they mess up the game and this uh and a tool card not being an item card is involved it's not because a tool card is not an item card it's just because they messed up the game it has nothing to do with like the game being bad because of the tool cards are no longer item cards or something like that it's just they messed up so hopefully they don't mess up and the game stays uh pretty fun right yeah the more i've thought about this the more i think it just makes sense like if we think of the three current categories of trainer card right there's trainer supporter trainer item and trainer stadium but one of those has another subset right so we have trainer item cards and trainer item cards that are tool cards so that i guess at face value could be a little confusing to maybe someone coming in so just moving forward making them be four separate things within the trainer category entirely i guess makes sense so and then you have like situations like the the arvin card where they can choose to make cards a little bit more powerful just based on the fact that they're just going to be able to go only interact with tool cards which i guess you could have done anyways like cards already do that um but i guess it just like kind of categorizes them a little bit better right and then it allows them a little bit more um a little bit more play with stuff like pokestop right if tool cards are really powerful in the format and they reprint something similar to Pokestop, it could be like, all right, discard the top four cards of your deck, but you only get item cards. Or it could say, discard the top two cards of your deck, and if there's any items or tool cards, you can get them, right? It gives you like a little bit more flexibility, I guess, in in that way, theoretically. Does it? I guess you could, they could already do that to begin with, to be honest. 
now it just categorizes, I guess, like on the card. You know what? Let's just stop talking about it. Let's move on to the next card. Jack, search your deck for up to two evolution cards, or two evolution Pokemon, reveal them and put them into your hand, then shuffle your deck. Supporter card, that's what I was talking about, them giving us supporter cards that are kind of slow. They haven't given us like an evolution incense or an evo soda. This card does not seem very good. I don't think so either. I mean, it does get you two Pokemon, where something like Evolution Incense can only get you one. There's also a Rezu in the format currently, which lets you get three Evolution Pokemon. Granted, <laughs> they can't be Rule Box Pokemon. So, okay, okay. Th this can get you Pokemon EX. So, I mean, in Pokemon V, po uh, V Star, Pokemon V Max as well. So. I don't know. There's a chance that this card could be played, but it seems unlikely whenever Ultra Ball exists in the format. General rule of thumb, I've heard Andrew Mahone say this plenty. You don't want to be playing supporter cards that have very similar effects to item cards. <laughs> because yeah. why would you do that? <laughs> if you can yeah, you do just play basically the same thing, like you can play research, get the Ultra Ball, and still get a like an evolution into play, right? Yeah, and then maybe you easily, just draw right? the evolution as well. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then you get all the other cards to work with for your future turn. So like you just get to do it so yeah. much more. So yeah, generally cards like this aren't very good. Um, sometimes they're they're good in niche situations, which yeah. is good enough. Uh, but this could be like kind of building towards something a little bit bigger where the format does slow down enough where a card like this is good, which would be interesting to play in a format like that. Uh, and then the last card, oh, second to last card here to talk about, which is the big one. Um, and people were kind of uh, losing their minds a little bit over this one. I'm not so convinced that it'll be too broken. It'll be in tier one decks for sure. The Electro Generator, unless lightning Pokemon suck. Look at the top five cards of your deck. You may attach up to two basic lightning energy you find there to your benched lightning Pokemon in any way you like. Shuffle the other cards back into your deck. Obviously very similar to Max Elixir, which we had a little while ago, which is look at the top six. Take any basic energy you find there and put it onto a basic Pokemon it's only top five, but it is take up to two lighting energy you find there. Um, so theoretically twice as powerful, a little bit less chance of hitting it, but it only works for lighting Pokemon. So I think that is a good enough restriction so this card won't be insane. But what do you think, Chip? Are you going to be playing this in every deck you play? <laughs> I mean, any lightning deck, almost <laughs> definitely, unless it's a... I mean, it's kind of counterintuitive to one of the strongest lightning-specific archetypes right now, which is Flaffy, right? Yep. Um, so it almost feels counterintuitive because... You want to get your energies in your discard pile, not necessarily just pull them from the deck directly to your bench. So I think this Maybe card is very, very, very powerful. But I think you also kind of pointed out that it can only be as good as the lightning Pokemon in the format are. Um, yep. I do think it is great that this can accelerate to any type of benched lightning pokemon like not just a basic it can be a stage one or stage two or v max or v star any of those things as well so yeah i think this card is going to be great uh i'm a little bummed that something like tapu koko v max is going to be rotating because that card has always been kind of cool to me auto paralysis is always solid this is that's a deck that probably would have loved to <laughs> utilize a card like this and never going to really get the chance to <laughs> shine Obviously, I think this goes really well with the Maridon EX. Like the Maridon EX Regielecki V Max deck is already building itself. I think this 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 kind of card is like a good example of like showing like like some people would look at this card and be like, why are they allowing this to attach to evolved Pokemon or V Pokemon or V Star Pokemon? But the one thing you want to take away from that is that they're choosing to allow it to do that. They could have made this card only attached to basic non rule box lightning Pokemon, right? 
but they chose that the best the best balance that this card brings to the game is to allow it to attach to any bench lightning pokemon um so i feel like sometimes people act like the the creators of the game overlook everything um and i think they maybe overlooked adp and stuff like that but i think in this kind of situation like it's definitely purposeful that it can be attached to any bench like in pokemon right so it's like not something where you want to look at it and be like why would they ever allow it to do that why wouldn't they limit it here or limit it like this the limitate the limit they chose was bench lightning pokemon and they think that's like the sweet spot to make the card functional and probably good i mean i'd be very surprised if this ended up being a bad card but i've yeah. i've definitely had some bad takes in the past like NTV, so it's possible but I think this will probably be a pretty good card, and hopefully the balance point that they chose with uh, with it is going to make it uh, a enjoyable card in the format. Also, never forget that ADP was not in Azul's top ten Cosmic Eclipse cards. <laughs> so it's only because Zation wasn't out yet. That's the only reason. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. This card, I think, yeah, is going to be good, and I I think that the creators of the game similar to what you were saying, right? They're trying to identify the sweet spot of, they want cards to be powerful, certain cards, right? They want them to be powerful, but not oppressive. And they got to find the spot between oppressive, something that's way too broken, that every deck can make use of, and then something that's unplayable, right? So if yeah. this is like only going to non-rule box Pokemon, it's probably not going to be as good, right? Or it's definitely not going to be as good. So Yeah, and they definitely want some cards to be more versatile than others, right? They want some cards to be a little bit more niche in terms of how many decks will this card create, right? Like yeah. this this card looks like it could definitely create a bunch of different decks, right? But that's what they want, right? That's probably what they want. They want to be like, all right, we want Lightning Pokemon to be strong at the initial release of this card. Um, here are the limitations we'll give it, you know, put it out there and then, you know, kind of go from there. Um, so yeah, that's what, because I get questions like that all the time in my chat or when I talk to people just about like, game balance and stuff like that it's like they're actively choosing to give it the limitations they're giving it they're not just like you know they're not just like they're not gonna like send it out there and be like oh wait we should have only made it be able to attach to basic lightning pokemon oh well i guess uh, we'll screw that <laughs> we already sent it out right so. whenever uh, max Lixer was around i remember you always wanted to make sure you had like 10 basic energy minimum in your deck like sometimes people would play nine but those people were just always whiffing their elixirs you know? <laughs> i mean most buzz rocks played nine yeah but i did but... uh i did i think i went up to 10 for uh laic that year and then i stuck with 10 after that yeah it's uh yeah my testing group discovered well if you hit max elixirs we're always winning if you don't hit max elixirs you're sometimes winning so if max elixirs the key let's cut some strong energy and let's hit max elixirs because that's better than you know jet punching harder or whatever sure and then the last card to reveal, we already looked at it a little bit, but uh, it is going to be the Boulder or Rock Chest Plate is what it's going to be called in English. The fighting Pokemon this card is attached to takes 30 less damage from attacks from your opponent's Pokemon. And this is the first Pokemon tool card that is not an item card. So we see kind of what it looks like with the purple on the card as opposed to like the blue of an item card, the red of a supporter or the green of a stadium. So, yeah, I mean, I think they've done a good job of differentiating it. People will now know that this is its own subset of card within the trainer category. And this card is super card is uncomfortable. Okay. Um, it looks super uncomfortable to wear the, <laughs> the boulder press. Play. But I, I think it's a pretty good card, right? Minus 30 damage. Are we going to have stone energy after rotation? Does that yep. survive? Yep. Stone energy, Arcanine V, maybe a little bit of that uh, penny. I'm just saying. <clears throat> Breastplate, yeah, minus a million damage. <clears throat> Grass Pokemon aren't good. <laughs> Grass Pokemon are trash. I don't know. Sounds like a recipe for success to me, but we'll have to 
That'd be sick. Arcanine V being good. I would have never predicted that. <laughs> and you can move the energies around before you yeah. pick it up. Yeah, that's yep. kind of cool. That, that okay. does sound kind of I'm spooky. in. All Let's right. do it. Arcanine V, <laughs> ship it. Buy them out. coming right out of now. retirement for Arcanine V. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, but yeah, and then also the last thing to mention about this really is rotation date coming into effect on April 14th, 2023. So that means this current format that we're playing, we're going to get Crown Zenith added. I think it's what comes out in January sometime, right? So we're going to get Crown Zenith yeah. added then. It's going to change a few things. There's a couple of interesting cards it looks like are going to be in the set. It, I think yeah. is going to feel like just a maybe a little similar to what the addition of Pokemon go was like for the world championships or a handful of cards were okay. But overall the meta was really similar. I'm kind of feeling like that that's what it's going to be. So all the way up until April, we're going to be playing this format still. How do you feel about that as someone who's going to be competing <laughs> in this format or one very similar to it up until EUIC, which will be the first tournament for rotation. Um, I mean, it's only like three and a half months, right? Because we're almost halfway through this month. And then it's at the end of March. You say April, but it's the end of March, really, right? Um, March well, 31st April, or whatever. I don't know oh, if there's any tournaments in that first week of April or not. Oh, well, well rotation will hit on PTCGO and stuff on the yes, on yes, in yes, March. Yes. So, so, yeah, yeah. That's when it's like relevant, right? The set comes out March 30th, 31st. Rotation hits on PTCGO. We'll be already, we'll be there, you know, 14 days before rotation actually hits, which is fine um so yeah three months away we do get crown zenith um i watched a little bit of the japanese tournament over the weekend and it didn't seem like there was a whole ton there was like one rating alternatives deck that looked kind of sick with uh duraladon and it was like a lost zone duraladon deck so like you turn one get out double duraladon v max into play and then you lost zone to the mirage gate and mirage gate to them so that looked pretty sick but it still looked like lugia slash let's look like lugia was still the dominant deck and Lugia counters were the only other, you know, viable strategy. There's a lot of wheezing. There's a lot of <laughs> there was a lot of wheezing. So that means there was a lot of Lugia if there was a lot of wheezing. Um, so didn't look like it changed much. But I don't even think they do. They have they have all the cards that we're getting in Crown Zenith, or do they just because they kind of get sets like smaller sets broken up, or do they have everything? I think they have everything. I'm pretty sure they do because a lot of the okay. stuff we're getting in Crown Zenith they've already had, like the Rotom V Star, the oh, that's true, v, yeah. V. Um, mm -hmm. Because they just got V Star Universe, and I think that's their last Scarlet or Sword and Shield set. I'm pretty sure. So I'm not 100% positive. I don't. Uh, I'm not up with the Japanese release schedule, maybe as much as some of the people out there. But um, I think that they have gotten everything. And there was, a, yeah, you mentioned the tournament this weekend. We'll talk about that a little bit more in depth. But there was a 3,000 person tournament <laughs> in Japan this past Another weekend, one. and um, I think the other card that I noticed seeing was the Zamazenta, the the basic Zamazenta that deals oh, yeah, yeah. 100 damage, but if one of your Pokemon was knocked out during their last turn, you get to deal 120 more damage. So it's pretty much just a Stoutland killer for Lost Box, yeah. right? <laughs> is kind of the main function of the card, which is pretty sick, honestly. Yeah, yeah, the Stoutland killer, it's here uh, for sure. But yeah, it's gonna be a lot of a lot of like kind of the same for a little while. Hopefully, Crown Zenith does something. Because actually, that's like a really long time. Is that even longer than uh, Darkness of Blazing to Vivid Voltage? I saw a post on in one of the Facebook groups, Hey Fonte or Verbank, I don't remember which one, but it said that this Sword and Shield base set would be 
since this rotation date has been announced, it will have been legal for the second longest time any set has ever been legal for in the standard format. The first longest being Diamond and Pearl base set. Yep. That's what I was going to say. It had to be the year that they skipped rotation. <clears throat> that's so, the only time they've skipped rotation, I think. Yeah. And that's before my time, so I couldn't tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, all very exciting things. Lots of news coming out in regards to the future of the Pokemon TCG. And I mean, just fingers crossed that this leads to more growth, more people getting interested in the game. Hopefully the championship series starts seeing more people pumped into it. More people start coming to regionals and start wanting to compete. Hopefully with IRL events or not IRL events like um, League Cups, local events coming back soon. League, Pokemon League getting more ramped up in a lot of areas hopefully all of this just leads to more and more people playing the pokemon tcg which is the main thing we all really want to see right yeah definitely definitely uh definitely the main thing we want to see um but yeah i think it covers everything for scarlet and violet let's move on to uh guess that flavor text <clears throat> it is chip's turn this week to pick a flavor text for me to try and guess the card or the pokemon that goes with the flavor text for those of you who are unfamiliar with this segment uh one of us will pick a pokemon card and then read the flavor text out and the other host has to try and guess what pokemon that flavor text belongs to if you get it right without using any lifelines you get four points for each lifeline you lose you get one less point and the lifelines are what set the card is from what stage the card is and then read an attack name from the card you ready to read me some flavor text? i'm ready are you ready to guess that flavor all right, go ahead. <laughs> All right. Blank, which even devour metal, can eat and destroy enemy ships in an instant. Okay, read it one more time. Blank, which even devour metal, can eat and destroy enemy ships in an instant. Which can even devour metal? Yes. The blank is the is yeah, plural. Yeah, the is so it's point. talking about like multiple of this Pokemon. That's why it, that's why it sounds like that. Can even devour metal. They, and it can destroy ships in an instant. Yes. Can okay. eat so, and destroy enemy ships in an instant. Okay, so it makes me think it's a. So first off, for some reason, I was thinking about Duraludon. Duraludon's got some chompers. Probably could eat metal. Um, but then it talks about ships. I still think Duraldon's still in my mind, but if it's eating ships, I don't think Duraldon's eating ships. So this makes me think of, and because it's blank is plural, which means uh, multiple, which makes me think of, what's the name? I don't even remember the name. It's the Piranha Pokemon, Carvana. It makes me think of Carvana. That one's got some chompers on it. And if it's multiple going around eating stuff, they could eat the ship, theoretically, so I think we have to go with a little bit for more information on this one. So I'm going to go, this one would tell me either of them, I guess. What's, what stage is the card? It is a basic. All right. So now this really makes me want to lock in Carvana because I can't think of like another water Pokemon with some big chompers. That's the plural part is what's the thing that's making me think about it. Cause like piranhas, you know, they, they swim in a pack, they eat stuff. Carvana basically is the piranha Pokemon. I'm going to pack. I don't know why they're eating ships, though. That's like, I'm kind of stuck on that. Why are they eating? Why are they eating ships? Maybe we should go a little bit further, but I don't know. Should I just try and get the two points? All right, let's go with an attack name 
on the card? Nah. Nah, well... <laughs> For some reason, I don't think a Carvana would have Nah as an attack name. This one is throwing me off a little bit now. No, I don't think Duraldon has Gnaw, so I don't think it's a Duraldon. It could still be Carvana. It makes sense. Um, this, it be like I have to assume it's a water Pokemon. It has to be a Pokemon in the water. It's eating ships. So I guess another one that it could be. Well, it's a basic, right? It is a basic. Yeah, it is a basic. All right, I'm just going to go ahead. I don't think a, knowing the set for this card is probably going to help me too much, although I've said that in the past, and then it has helped me, but I'm going to go, and I'm going to lock in Carvana. It is not Carvana, Azul, uh. unfortunately. <laughs> I'll read uh, the set, give you one more guess for funsies, and also, of course, for anyone playing along at home. The set is Double Crisis, which is the Team Magma, Team Aqua set from the XY era. What? I don't know the water Pokemon, so there's Kyogre, and then... Although that might have helped me quite a bit because there's not many cards in that set. There's very few cards in that set. It is a 34-card set, yes. All right, go ahead. What is it? It is Team Magma's Aeron. Oh, oh what? Aeron, <laughs> Why bro. is it eating ships? He's chomping <laughs> on the ships, brother. What? <laughs> what? I would have never got that. Look, Why is Aaron? Is it Aaron or Aaron? How do you even pronounce it? Aaron. Why is it eating it ships? <laughs> Why is it eating ships? Because uh, it's Team Team Aqua ships. Team Aqua uses the ships. Oh, <laughs> what? Uh, read the read the flavor text one more time. Let me see if there's like a hint in there that I could have picked up on. Aaron, which can devour metal, can eat and destroy enemy ships in an instant. Oh, that's so... There's nothing there. That's so deceiving. <laughs> yeah. Because, <laughs> like, why would I think about the Pokemon? Well, I guess if you had said the set, maybe I could have got to the... Okay. As a steel type. Team Aqua ship. Okay. So then it ha we're going back to... So it's a Team Magma Pokemon that's eating the Team Aqua ship. But that seems like a, a bit of a stretch. I don't think I would have got there. This was a hard one, Azul. Yeah. I don't think you should beat <laughs> yourself up for it too much. I'm trying to think if I could ever draw that line. Like make that connection. I don't think so though. Yeah. Um I do think there is a Carvana in this set as well, so <laughs> that uh maybe wouldn't have helped you. Yeah, probably not. I don't I, think I'm so. I'm trying to spell Carvana and I can't spell it, but all right. So uh what we're we talking about? We're talking about the game growing, and speaking of the game growing, I guess, or getting bigger, there was two tournaments this weekend. Uh one in Japan, one in Taiwan, and the one in Japan had 3,000, almost 3,000 players. I think it was like 200, 2,900 and something. Uh, and the one in Taiwan had 2,005 players. So two massive tournaments. Um, I don't remember what won in the the tournament in Japan, but the, the tournament in Taiwan, I believe, was won by uh, Mew. And then it was like, yeah, the rest of the top eight was, so it was Mew in first place, Lugia, 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 uh, <laughs> to fill out top six. And then... Seventh was Eternatus, uh, and Eternatus actually also got top four in the Japan tournament alongside a Kyogre. It's a top two. I'm like, oh, the first place was Reggie. Second place was Lugia. Um, but go back to the Taiwan tournament, and then Lost Box fills out the top eight here uh, in Taiwan. Mew, uh, one, two, three, four, five, five Lugias, an Eternatus Umbreon VMAX deck, and then a Lost Zone Toolbox. There's a Lost Zone Toolbox listed with Radiant Charizard and Amazing Rare Raikou under that. So I guess we don't really know what kind of Lost Zone Toolbox made top eight here in Taiwan. But it was some kind of Lost Zone Toolbox. Yeah, some kind of toolbox. Um, 
could have been a Sable Zard. You know, we know it's got Comfy and Cramorant in it, that is for sure. But, yeah, I don't think uh, the results on Taiwan are super surprising. You, I think yeah. you would expect Lugia and Mew to be the top two decks, and turns out that was what their finals was. Mew ends up winning, which I actually think is, like, depending on the Mew build, it's really not a bad matchup for Mew. Um, I feel like Mew honestly can go very positive against Lugia if it's built the right way. Um so, I mean, we haven't seen too much of that in our format yet. Maybe we'll see some of it come out in Arlington, potentially, from someone if they want to run it with the Mew VMAX. But, um, yeah, really interesting results, especially over in Japan with the Reggies winning the tournament. This is the second Japanese 3,000-player tournament that Reggies has won. <laughs> it also won the one this summer. Maybe there wasn't 3,000 people at that one this summer. But, yeah, it's, it was, uh, yeah. Was it the yeah. first big one? Okay, okay. Oh, no, no, no. Okay, actually, no, 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 you're wrong. The other 3,000-player tournament was won by uh, Lawson Garatina. Yeah. Um, yeah the, the, the one was, won by Reggie Reggie's was like won two, one that was like 1,500 players or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It was it's still massive. So, yeah, Reggie's just kind of dominating over there in Japan. I, I'm curious on your reaction to seeing Reggie's win as well because you've played your fair share of Reggie's. You've done well with Reggie's. But you've not been a huge fan of it in this format. Is the format maybe in a place where I mean, obviously it worked out very nicely um, for Yuta over in Japan. Do you think like even in our format in Arlington, there's a chance that Reggie's could have a bit of a resurgence? Uh, maybe it hasn't been like a super unpopular. It's been in like the top five most played decks yes. at both uh, at most of the tournaments so far. Um, and I think it was actually pretty good play for Toronto, but it's a little, it's pretty hard to predict. But pretty much everyone, not everyone, a lot of people cut Dunsparce. And like the top, it's weird because like whenever I look at the stats for it, Dunsparce is still in like 75% of Lugia decks. Um, and most do still also include Manaphy. So if you go up against Manaphy Dunsparce, it's pretty tough. Um, sometimes just having four path though with people cutting down their stadium removal counts is still pretty good as well. And if they have to put Punkaboo in play, it's going to be hard to get Dunsparce and Manaphy in play. Um, but the top finishing consistently, the top finishing Lugia decks besides LAIC, like after LAIC, generally don't have Dunsparce in them. So I don't think that's a trend that's going to continue, though. Um, especially when you're looking at more of the Lost Box decks, including stuff like Zekrom and Zera Aura. I think we'll probably still say somewhere around the mark of like 75% of Lugia decks playing Dunsparce, but maybe that's why it seems like the top finishers from last week didn't have Dunsparce because they had like that little edge in the mirror because they didn't play Dunsparce. I don't know. Um, at least in Toronto, they didn't have Dunsparce. So, um, and towards the top tables, I didn't run into many people with uh, with Dunsparce as well. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, it seems like it's, it could be okay, but if people are playing the Dunsparce Manaphy still, I I don't think it's great. There was a lot of weird stuff over in Japan though, so that was maybe one of part of its success. Is there was just like so much other stuff trying to hard counter Lugia. I mean, I guess Weezing's pretty good against Reggie. I don't really know how that matchup goes, but if you just get three energy on a Reggie and you start swinging, you're probably gonna be fine. So. Um, besides that, like maybe you just kind of beat the counters that counter Lugia with Reggie, and that was kind of part of the part of its success because it always has like a good lost box matchup. Yeah, yeah, solid lost box matchup. Though I don't think it does the best into the Kyogre build. Like it's close. It's still close. Okay. You can yeah, because like it's so hard to free lost box to get the early knockout. So if you get far enough ahead, that the Kyogre doesn't matter. Um, although <laughs> one of the Reggies I played against at Toronto, I was able to use Ky Kyogre twice in one of the games, and that'll definitely get you ahead where you need to be two prizes, two prizes. <laughs> for sure yeah that's yeah gonna be pretty good yeah so definitely interesting results over there one of the i think the more interesting things though is that both of these tournaments had a really high placing eternatus top four eternatus in 
Japan and top eight over in Taiwan. And there was also a player who got, I think it was like 38th or something like that in Toronto with Eternatus. So what's with all these E-turns popping up, Azul? Is it just decent right now? I mean, it does a lot of damage. I guess it can one hit KO Lugia and you do have access to Weezing, which is pretty solid against most of the format, right? Yeah, I think it is Weezing that's kind of carrying it. Um, they're just kind of getting cheesy with the Wheezy, and that's where a lot of the win percentage is coming from for the Eternatus. Really good against Lost Box in the early game to slow them down, um, and then really good up against Lugia as well to slow them down, because like if Lugia can't use Summoning Star, uh, they can't get any energy into play. Uh, they can't get the Archaps into play that gets the energy into play. And even sometimes, once they do use the Summoning Star, if that Pokemon goes down to a Wheezing, then you still are going to get ahead again, because, you know, they have no energy in play once again. So, um, yeah, it's just kind of, I think getting cheesy with Wheezy is kind of what's carrying these uh, these Eternatus. And I don't think it's enough to to warrant it being like all of a sudden like a top deck or anything like that. Uh, I would love to be proven wrong. I've never been a huge Eternatus fan. Uh, personally, I don't, yeah, I don't think it's enough. Uh, I don't think it's enough to carry the deck uh, to, to being like a top deck in the format. We're not going to see like a ton of it. There'll probably be a slight increase though, I would say, assume in popularity heading into Arlington. But yeah, nothing uh, nothing too much to be feared. Yeah, I think one of the things that Eternatus has going for it is that it's a deck that can pretty easily, um, pretty easily, excuse me, play Temple of Sinnoh, which we see in this Jep, yeah. uh, Taiwan list. It's got two copies of it. I believe the person who did well in Toronto, I think, had four Sinnoh in the deck. And Sinnoh is pretty good against Lugia, uh, especially yeah. the way people are building their lists right now. Uh, like Bradner, who got top eight in Toronto, only had one pump kaboo, no lost vacuum, no stadium, right? So it's like one chance to get Temple of Sinnoh out of play. And that's been kind of consistent, I feel like, across the board. It's like I'll maybe see two answers, but um, if you can just win that stadium war, Lugia is going to be slowed down a lot, and they're going to be cut off from access of using things like the Evil Tall. You can still attack with Lugia, but yeah, no Evil Tall, no Radiant Charizard, anything like that. Yeah, yeah. So definitely like slows the whole deck down. And yeah, that's also like another big key, I guess, in the in the deck as well. And the Japanese list had three Temple of Sinnoh, I believe. I saw that list. It was two Temple and three. one Lost City. That was in the Taiwan list. Oh, the right? Taiwan list. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah the list in Japan that got top four, I believe, had um three uh three Temple of Sinnoh in there as well. So yeah, it's like another big piece, I guess, right, for the Lugia matchup specifically. Yeah. And I, I guess the the meta in Japan is a little bit different. Uh, I guess it would be a little bit different in Taiwan as well, right? They will have the they both have the uh, new cards to work with, which I didn't see a whole ton of when I tuned into the tuned into the uh, the, the 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 stream for the Jap uh, the Japanese tournament. But they, I did see one Radiant Eternatus deck, which is really cool. It was like Radiant Eternatus, the uh, Raladon V Max Lost Zone. So like turn one, you do some Lost Zone stuff with Comfies, and then you use Radiant Eternatus to get your two Raladon V Max in play. The next turn. You get seven in the Lost Zone. Use your Mirage Gates, set them up, start swinging with the Raladon, which is like pretty sick. Um, and shows kind of like the potential for that card, I think, is very high, the rating on turn test. And hopefully there's more stuff to uh, kind of come with it. I'm excited to excited to mess around with that card more for sure. Definitely. And something that's interesting as well is that the meta for the Taiwan Regional League tournament, with the one with 2,000 players, is actually really similar. There's a meta graph here on Pokestats. Uh, if you scroll down on the page, you can see it. Um, it's really similar to our meta, right? Dominated by Lugia. We see 28% Lugia. Close behind, we see the Mew VMAX, 13%, you know, half of the Lugia players, but still yeah. <laughs> solidly in second place. And then Lost Box at third. So, I mean, it's the same top three um, across the board. 
things get a little funkier as we go a little farther down. Like our number four deck would be the other Lost Zone decks, which I guess they get a little bit with the Giratina, but then we would see Reggie normally in our tournament. They've got Zorobox pretty reasonably high. They've got Eternatus pretty reasonably high. So these decks were pretty well represented at this event. Yeah, that is actually definitely pretty curious. And actually, it gets kind of weird, though. I feel like when, when you have a deck like a Lugia deck making up 30% of the meta, which I feel like I've never played in a format that I look fondly back on when a deck basically makes up 30% of the meta. I feel like 30% is the point where the deck is too good, is how I've kind of always felt. But we haven't always had meta share for tournaments in the past where that could have also been uh, true. And then thinking back on those tournaments, I was like fine with them. But, you know, thinking about like the Mu Maxes, the Lugias, the Palkias, the ADPs, whatever, those always made those made up. I think Lugia's like been the has been equal to what Mew was early on as well, where it's been like 30% of the meta. But that just always feels like they always just feel like bad metas when a deck makes up like 30%. I think like when a deck is reaching high teens to almost 20, that's where it feels like it's comfortable for there to be like a best deck reaching that number. But I feel like when there is a deck taking up 30% of the meta, the rest of it is going to be a little bit wonky pretty much no matter where you go, right? Because um, I think for us, like, Reggie was the top uh, outside of Lost Box. Like, Reggie was the next deck, right? It was the fifth, fifth most popular yeah. deck. It was, like, Lugia, Mew, Lost Box, Lost Box. And I, I looked like their Lost Box decks were just combined into one percentage of 7%, where for Toronto, was broke down to, like, 4.5, 4.5, Um, And then Reggie was just under them. So, I don't know, it's always going to be a little bit weird as to that last one. But, yeah, the, the, I mean, Zoro Box and the just I guess, are the big standout ones. I don't know why people are playing Deca Vault. Reggie Lucky, what the heck? <laughs> that one is... <laughs> the synergy, the synergy. The synergy, the synergy. It's been proven so, Palkia is better. Palkia is better than Reggie, Reggie <laughs> Vmax. People are doing it wrong. Apparently, yeah. They didn't get the memo in Taiwan just yet, but... Yeah, Yeah. so what, uh, if any, should players who are playing in Arlington take away from these events? Maybe if someone's still preparing or if someone is a little unsure about what to play. Like maybe is there, you know, if there's an Eternatus believer out there, should this breathe new life into that hope for them that they can run up <laughs> with this deck at this event? Uh, I don't think so for Eternatus. I think everything is basic. I think the top three decks are just like, it's hard to argue against them. Lost Box or Lugia, Mu Max and Lost Box. I'm not a huge fan of Mu Max out of those three, but I think I would probably take that over any of the other decks. Um, I guess there's always like some uh, some kind of validity to some kind of control or Mewtwo V Union deck. Um, but I think after what happened last weekend across the board in Toronto, uh, Stuttgart, and Brisbane, uh, a lot of the Lugia decks, which is basically the the deck that Matt you care about the most, a lot of the Lugia decks are going to be a lot more prepared for those matchups. And I don't think they're going to be taking as hard of a loss. So it's going to be a little bit harder to get away with... Uh, yeah, the, uh, the kind of the right circumstance you have to like walk into with a, a uh, into a tournament with a control deck. I think it's gonna be a little bit harder to pull that off. Yeah, and speaking of Lugia, definitely still gonna be the most popular deck, and undoubtedly the one that people should be testing against the most to make sure that their deck can beat. Or if they're playing Lugia themselves, they want to iron out a really good solid list. So, what are the things that you expect to see from the majority of Lugia players? Like, if you wanted to roll up to this event with Lugia. Of all the techs we've seen, we've seen Espeon VMAX, we've seen the Snorlax, we've seen Birdkeeper, Eldegoss. Of all of these things, what in your mind is the most vital inclusion and maybe what's one that you're okay leaving on the, the sidelines? 
Um, I think the biggest thing, just because of space and maybe trying to put uh, more vacuums back in there, especially if you take a look at like Bradner's build, I think you have to like choose between like Elder Gods, Birdkeeper, Espeon, VMAX as kind of your uh, extra answer or extra options against control decks or the paralyzed decks. Like either of those, you need something, whether it be the Espeon or the Elder Gods, Birdkeeper. I played a Lugia Espeon build in a tournament the other day, and people were already teching uh, like Path and Cologne into the Articuno Palkia deck. Um, as an answer to the Espeon VMAX. So maybe the Birdkeeper Aldegas is going to be the better route. Like if people are going to put put the commitment to the text for the Espeon, uh, they don't quite work the same up against the Aldegas Birdkeeper. Sure, Path still stops you from using Aldegas, but you do play outs to Path. So you have, can, you know, get rid of their Path, get into your Aldegas, get the Birdkeeper again, get out of the paralysis and kind of um, go from there or repeat that by going back into the Aldegas. Aldegas smacks, you put it back in the deck, you search it back out again and repeat. So I guess to play one or the other for sure you just need some kind of answer to like the cheese you need some answer to the cheese for sure i've been a fan of the eldegoss bird keeper stuff because it creates like a mini infinite which i guess by definition is not actually an infinite but it gives you an opportunity to extend games beyond what they should and that can be useful into control right yeah. um and theoretically you can if you draw your cards in the right order you can match their like if we're looking at the eldegoss loop from sander that he played at laic you can match that with your own eldegoss as long as you draw it before you draw like all the energy cards right yeah 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 exactly so it gives you some some more options and lets you over lets you extend your resources a little bit more than you normally would have extra marnies bosses whatever so yeah i like the eldegoss bird here i think it's the most versatile of it that's beyond is a little bit more uh, constricted because you do want to like you can't just play no other tech cards in the deck right you're still trying to include stuff like manaphy maybe maybe dunsparce vacuums stadium cards also become a question like you said we saw bradner's list no vacuum no collapsed just the punkaboo but then you saw uh <clears throat> kieran with the the top four list that played you know double collapse the yeah. vacuum yeah. so you got a little bit more space had the bird keeper didn't have the eldegoss but you know got a little bit more room to play some other tech cards right so can't play everything gotta kind of narrow it down to what you think is going to be the most effective on the weekend um and yeah so far like in the the goss keeper for sure yeah the the espion i think was definitely the move for toronto but oh yeah yeah for people sure. have the answers now and like you like you said the paths and stuff popping up so maybe espion hmm, not as keen on it i think like right after toronto i was super hype on the espion i was like oh yeah this is oh, sick yeah, yeah espion's <laughs> the way to go but the meta changes of course um so course, yeah, yeah i guess the other question is where does control fit in to this tournament obviously piper just won toronto and then control also did really well in all of the other tournaments across the world last weekend mewtwo v union kind of being the main strategy not really as much of sanders eldegoss loop evil tall deck though i think that did okay in australia yep uh and then also i guess in this category even though it's like not quite as much of a control deck sanders mewtwo gengar deck that's more of a like aggressive mewtwo v union deck it yeah. feels like uh you do have like a little bit of the control option in there but really you're just kind of being aggressive with your mewtwo once you set it up um yeah where do we feel like this fits in the meta right now i mean i think all the control decks take a took a hit because of how well they did last weekend so i don't control know you're gonna see stuff best like when people don't respect it yeah yeah it does best when people don't know about it and then you have a, like a decent read on the meta so you know what you're trying to play uh to control the different the different decks in the meta but yeah there's i think there's gonna be too many answers probably uh to make it, it's not gonna be as good as last weekend that's for sure uh so this coming up weekend uh going into arlington control decks will not be quite as good of a play and i think that actually fits like kind of includes like the paralysis decks as well they kind of are 
they're both kind of control decks for the most part um yeah i think any any deck like that is gonna it's gonna be tough to to want to play something like that going to this weekend i think it's still pretty manageable like the decks are still very powerful um and then if you not everyone's gonna be playing counters right like not everyone's gonna be playing you know temple of sinos for your eskews with your watches and in lost box or they're not going to be playing the drapion and the mirage gate builds to KO your mutual union which i think is like the most common thing i've seen as like an answer to the mutual union decks is like the mirage gate uh the mirage gate builds of lost box are just playing uh drapion right so not only is that like cool in the mew matchup uh but you also get that as a bonus and you want to ko the mutual union or i guess the mew matchup is the bonus and now you also want to KO the mutual union so definitely seems worse but it's not, I wouldn't say it's terrible still. Like the decks are still so strong. Not everyone's going to tech for it. So you have to hope to dodge a little bit more than you did last weekend. Yeah, I'm definitely a fan of the Drapion in the Lost Zone decks because it actually fills a lot of roles. Like it's great against the Mewtwo V Union, which is otherwise an auto loss if you don't have it. Um, mm-hmm. It's good against Mew. And even against Lugia, if they have the Espeon VMAX, it becomes a, an attacker option, right? To just take three prizes. So yeah, I'm definitely a fan of the the Drapion in the Lost Box Mirage Gate builds right now. We saw Alex Shemansky got top 32 with Radiant Zard Sableye, uh, and he had the double Mirage Gate plus the um plus the drapion so uh and i guess the question also if you're looking at mu v max i know you just said you weren't a big fan of it but should players who do want to play mu v max should they be scared of drapion it almost feels like people would maybe be including it uh because of mewtwo but also you know just recognizing it is going to be good in the mu matchup as well should they be more or less scared of drapion than maybe in the past few tournaments uh, I mean, I guess a little bit more, right? I think there's just going to be an increase in Drapion no matter what. Um, Lost Box already had like a pretty solid matchup into Mew to begin with. Yeah. Uh, depending on the Mew list, it was, you know, closer or less close. Uh, <laughs> it was closer or less close, but yeah, it was a little bit list dependent. Um, but it's definitely gotten... Is it, there's going to be more Drapion for sure. How much more that you should really be scared of of playing Mew if you weren't scared before? I don't think that much more, and I don't think your matchups overly change that much. Like, a lot of Sable Zards already played the Drapion, right? Like, Sable Zard was already playing Drapion, so, like, you're already dealing with that with the majority of Lost Zone decks. Now, maybe the Kyogre decks build play it as well, but, like, I don't think that changes too much of uh, your strategy in those matchups to begin with. So, if you're if you're already locked on Mew, I wouldn't be, like, more scared than you were. Like I said, I'm still not a fan of Mew overall, but I think you're still Rocket. You, it's like you should still be fine to just Rocket if that's what you were, you were set on playing to begin with, you know? Marnie or marnie path or path judge now it's now the best path disruption card deck in the in the format which is funny how things have kind of evolved from you it used to fear the marnie path and now it has become the marnie path how Um, how the format has devolved (laughs) this is the point we are at where we see them the muse are the ones playing marnie path or even judge path which is like more degenerative than than but that but just people that is definitely the way to go if you're not playing if you're still playing marnie path mew if you're not playing like the meloetta build like the fusion build you should definitely be judge path mew i don't know why people are still doing marnie there's too much primate wisdom going on there you gotta gotta rock the judge the judge is definitely the way to go Mahone and crew were definitely onto something with that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm a pretty big fan of Marnie just because, like, you see more cards, and it also puts the bad cards on the bottom of the deck because usually if you're having to play a supporter to draw cards as the Mew player, it's because your hand is clunked up with, like, a stadium you don't want to play or, like, <laughs> uh, a, a VMAX that you don't want to discard, right? you just got, like, clunky cards that you can't thin out so you can't draw any cards with Fusion Strike System. So it's like, all right, let's just gen- let's just play the Marnie, put them on the bottom, <laughs> draw more cards, right? 
Um, that is fair. That is fair. Something, like, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't think it's gonna hurt your draw that much. Where like the benefits of the judge won't outweigh that. Sure. I think your win percentage is going up with Judge over Marnie for sure. For right now, anyways. I don't see it changing going into Arlington. Well, let's look at Lost Box, the deck that you've played for the last two tournaments. Of course, Lost Box with the Kyogre. There's also the popular way to play it with the Sableye and Radiant Charizard, which Alex Shemansky has been doing very well with. Um, I mean, I think obviously you're going to be uh, more preferential to the Kyogre build of the deck. Um, but moving into to, uh, to Arlington, if players are de debating between the two, what, what are the decisions that you think should sway them one way or the other? um i don't know it's really close i actually think like i just have played more of the kyogre build at this point i think it's they're maybe just about even in their matchups i think i guess maybe the lugia matchup is a little bit better for the kyogre build yeah. just because there's so much more stuff they have to worry about throughout the game um and you put more pressure on them uh by having to worry about that you play like the lightning attackers and stuff so i think maybe it is the the kyogre build is maybe the better one into that matchup i think the mew matchup is good for both like i felt like that's been favorable for both for a little while so i guess maybe um, and i don't even know if uh sables art actually has the edge in the mirror anymore because greninja is just so good in the mirror match like initially i would i thought sables art kind of had the edge because it was like a little bit more consistent to the sable eye but the pressure that greninja puts on the sables art player is like such a big deal as well um yeah both builds feel pretty good i i, I think i prefer the kyogre build a little bit more and i think it probably is the, the better of the two builds uh, just like expected win percentage wise, I think I have to give the edge to Kyogre for sure. And what about other variants of Lost Box? The main nope. ones being the amazing rare versions, the the Rayquaza or the Raikou. So I think Ray is just bad. I think it's just like trying to do too much. There's too much going on. You just can't get it to work. The Raikou build, I think there is some validity to it, especially if there's not as much Dunsparce in the Lugia decks. Um, or if they put Dunsparce in play, it's just cool. It's an like, easy, you know, prize card for Sableye. So actually. The Raikou build um, is one I have not put a ton of time in with at all. If I had put more time into with it, um, it maybe would be the build I prefer over the other two. I would definitely say stay away from Ray. But, uh, I mean, if you're rocking Raikou right now, it's working for you. I would say, you know, keep rocking it. Because I think that one definitely has potential. Sure. I think the Rayquaza is cool. And in theory, it solves issues for the deck, right? If you're playing the Sable Zard version and you've got a harder time against Lugia rayquaza can ko the lugia and also an auto loss in arceus duraludon uh rayquaza can handle that for you as well just get that one hit ko yep. but in practice playing five different types of energy <laughs> is just going to be really <laughs> clunky and and it's just yeah gonna, you're, you're gonna have a tough time so i think that the ray could be cool and it would be awesome if someone could come up with a consistent list that felt good to play but it's it's a tough call um, now let's talk about one of your favorite decks, Azul, the deck that got second in Toronto, Duraludon VMAX. I think this is probably a deck that you shouldn't pick up to play, but if you are a Duraludon, you know, believer, if you're someone who's just been playing this deck, it doesn't matter. Nothing we say is going to change your mind. You're going to be playing Duraludon for this tournament anyway. It feels like one of those type of decks, right? That <laughs> It's got its diehards, its rider dies, and it's not really getting any new players to its cause. Yeah, I don't think like a whole ton is changing. And I, and I don't think really a whole ton changes like matchup wise. I don't think anyone's um besides lugia maybe like no one's really tekken for duraludon uh the decks that you already kind of beat you're still gonna beat your your mew matchup is just always feels so tough um and people are rocking like the the path to the peaks now which means they even have a shot to just like kind of steamroll through your duraludon even once you get it set up 
Um, and yeah, so it kind of comes down to like if you if you go against Lugia, you hope to go first, and then you hope that they don't have or can't find their vacuum, right? Which just seems like a really bad strategy against the best deck in the format um, to not have more depth to your your game plan than that. And then yeah, like the um, the Mew matchup has always felt sketch to me. I've never been confident as Arceus on going up against Mew, so I'm still not a fan of it. But I don't think. If you were still confident in it last week, I think going into Arlington, nothing has changed for it, really. Like, I think there maybe will be a slight increase in vacuums in Lugia's because of uh, Christian getting second, but that's probably it. But I don't think it's going to really change the outcome of your tournament too much. If you're Gerald on stand, keep standing, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it, if the Lugia lists stay the same, you actually, I think if you, you know, play smartly, have a fine matchup there. You don't have yeah, to... Yeah. You don't have to turn to V-Star for your attack. You can turn to V-Star for double parasol and just put them onto both of your Duraludons. And that's the way to go. If you just get two so, if, if you get two Duraludons, but if you get <laughs> yeah, that's the problem, I guess, right? <laughs> if you can get two Duraludons and get the two parasol, you just win the Lugia matchup, right? Assuming they don't play double vacuum. Sometimes they have second vacuum though. <laughs> that is true. Then get, yeah. Then you crap. So. But then you're you're KOing an evil tall, right? They can only evil tall once, so yeah, I don't know. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You hope. Azul's, Azul's giving this deck zero credit, <laughs> which is fun. yeah. And uh, yeah, let's look at the Articuno stuff now. So we saw quite a bit of Articuno in um, Toronto. Obviously, it also did win Brisbane Regionals with the in the Frostmoth version of the deck. And then in Toronto, we saw Charlie Lockyer getting top eight with an Intellium build dedicated to Articuno. And Jake Gearhart getting top eight with a Intellium Palkia build. So having that option of Palkia is maybe a little bit of a uh, a bigger hitter. Whereas Charlie was really kind of relying on playing against Lugia and Mew specifically all day. Because he had the double Drapion for the Mew and yep. the Articuno for the, uh, for the Lugias. So of the Articuno strategies, do you have a favorite one of the three? And which one... Uh, would you expect to see the most success? I guess that's probably the same answer, right? <laughs> Which whatever one your favorite is, yeah. is the one you expect to do the best. <laughs> well, I think the Palkia build will probably do the best, but I actually like the Articuno and Teleon deck the best. Like there's just straightforward Articuno and Teleon. That's with my the favorite. Zam, the, the Radiant Zam in there. Yeah, with the Radiant Zam. Um, so that's my favorite of them. But I think the Palkia build probably has the most potential to do this because it's not as linear. I uh, can't be as easily countered. You have some more options. Like you can actually with the Palkia build, you can actually beat like Espeon because you can like play a path. Trap the Espeon in the active for a turn, and then Palkia comes up and knocks it out, right? Whereas the straight Articuno build, it's like, all right, play the path, trap your Espeon for a turn, like, all right, bump your path. My, my Espeon's not paralyzed anymore, and you're like, all right, I'll hit you for 70 damage. <laughs> like, And yeah. then you just kind of fall apart from there. So I definitely give uh, uh, the most potential to the Palkia build because it's more versatile and can handle the answers to your counters, to their counters better than uh, any of the other builds um but i think all of them are a little bit they kind of fall into the same category as like the control decks for the week um it's like they're definitely a little bit risky unless you kind of can crack the code on like the counters to the counters to the counters um definitely risky just like with the control decks i feel like and then we'll close it out with the three remaining decks we can kind of just group these all together they're definitely in the more rogue slash tier three category we've got the flaffy box which of course got second in brisbane Vikavolt Palkia, which won the Stuttgart Regional Championships, and then Zorobox, which actually got ninth place at the Stuttgart Regional Championships. So all three of these decks are on the map. 
if you had to pick one to roll up with Azul, which would it be? Uh, if I, I would definitely roll up with Vikavol Pack if I had to pick between one of these. The Flaffy Box, I think, is a little bit too gimmicky. Uh, hoping for no Dunsparce in the Lugia decks. And then now people are going to have like the Bird Keeper and stuff to get out of Paralysis or the Espeon. Uh, Zoro Box has a terrible Lost Box matchup. My one problem with the Vika Ball Palkit, and I maybe would even be more considering it for a play for this weekend, is like I think your Lost Box matchup is good. I think your Mew matchup is good. I don't know if you have a bad Lugia matchup, but I just can't figure out the Lugia matchup. I can't, like, I've, I win to it sometimes. I lose to it. I just can't figure out, like, what am I trying to do when they, like, play the game? Do I just lose? Do I really have to just hope to go second and then hope that the item lock cheeses them? Because that's what I've been doing. I've been choosing to go second, uh, get turn one item lock, and then my wins are usually, you know, they feel pretty cheesy. Uh, but up against Mew, you have a solid game plan of just, like, chase three two prizers. Uh, and against Lost Box, the item lock of Vika Vault into eventually using Greninja usually just always puts you ahead in the prize exchange. Um, so those matchups, I feel like I figured out with the deck. The Lugia matchup just feels so sus that I just, like... Um, it's not a consideration for Arlington for me, but I, if I had been able to like maybe play with it a little bit more, maybe have a little bit of time to actually do that, and I feel like I can really figure out the Lugia matchup, then uh, yeah, I think I think Vika Vault Palk is actually like a pretty strong deck, uh, as long as the Lugia matchup is actually at least 50-50, but I actually don't know where I really stand on how the matchup actually feels. Yeah, it definitely feels like a matchup where you're hoping to cheese the opponent, which it never feels great to have that be <laughs> your strategy. It's like, I hope I get to go second. I hope I get the cards to pull off the turn one attack, which is not that hard for that deck. That deck's yeah, pretty, it's pretty good at it. It's pretty consistent at pulling out. It's probably like 80 plus percent, 85 percent plus at, at doing the yeah. turn one attack, something like that, which is really solid um and hoping that that's going to be enough in a two out of three and maybe that's where the benefit of the deck is right where you're playing on the ladder you're only playing one game in a set right so it's like okay i'll just lose to this player i'll beat this player you know one game at a time but in a best of three in a tournament can you roll that percentage two times out of three it's probably not that unreasonable and maybe that's why the deck uh did so well in stuttgart yeah, yeah, because like I said, like some of the matchups feel solved and good, uh, and then any like rogue matchup, you can always kind of cheese them with item lock. You're probably hoping to not hit like an arc any Arceus decks. The Arceus decks are pretty tough, uh, but when you have Palkia as your backup attacker, you can get over like a lot of situations, right? Where Vika Vault would kind of stumble and uh, fall apart. So you, the deck has a lot of options. I think it's pretty solid, like I said, and I feel like if I could have figured out the Lugia matchup, or maybe if I can figure it out before Arlington, it definitely might become a consideration to play. But yeah, if I had to pick between those three. Definitely going to go with the uh, the Vika Vault deck for sure. I think I'd pick Zorobox of the three. It's been my favorite for sure. <laughs> it does have just a terrible lost box matchup. I've tried several ways to make the matchup better. None of them work. It's, it's just a bad matchup. Take the L. Hope you don't hit it. And yep. make sure you're consistent at beating Mew and Lugia, which I think the deck is pretty good at. But taking the L to lost box is, is kind of tough, and it's hard to pick a deck... Uh, if you want to win the tournament, that is going to take an L to Lost Box. Yeah, definitely not something you want to do. But I definitely think it is one of those decks where, like, if you really enjoy Zoro Box and you're, like, fine with it, don't tech it out. Yes, like, which is, don't stop. Cut. How many parasols did you get off to chip? I had three parasols. Yeah, <laughs> don't put any parasols in. Don't try and beat the matchup. If you play against them, try and get a cheesy dub. But just make it as consistent as possible at beating Mew and Lugia. And then just hope you dodge Lost Box, right? Like, if you hit two of them, you can still make day two. And even if you hit one or two more there, you could still make top eight, right? Just like hope to dodge them. Uh, Benji Fam, I believe, was the person who got ninth place in Stuttgart. They almost got there. They were close. I think they had the same amount of points as the players in top eight as well. So almost managed to pull out a top eight. It's possible. Yeah, just hope to dodge the lost boxes. Don't tech for them. 
not it worth does it. also <laughs> have some random bad matchups right like the Volt stuff is not going to be great for you yeah um the duraladon is not going to be great for you either you, you kind of wheezing's bad yeah yeah wheezing's <laughs> bad can't I don't know, Weezing's not Zork. the worst because you can just go Zorark, right? Zorark attach and just do 70 damage to him, to it KO. Yeah, but then they remove your energy and then your poison. It's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. It's you can't, since you we know can you can't work. draw we cards. Can, we can make it work. We can make it work. <laughs> believe, Azul. Just believe. Well, I think all that right, is going right. to do it for our episode this week. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. If you're going to be traveling to Arlington, be sure to come up and say hello to myself or Azul. We will both be there. We're both going to be competing. We're both going to be in top eight. Look out for us up there on the okay. – wow. <laughs> what was that reaction? What's that? What's that uh, We'll try. I mean, that's a tough call. <laughs> Uncommon energy takeover? Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. That would be sick. That would be sick. Well, thanks, everyone, of course, for watching and the support. As always, if you want to stay connected with us, the best way to do it is going to be over on Twitter. You can follow myself at Chip Ritchie, Azul at Azul underscore GG. And you can also follow the podcast at Uncommon underscore Energy. Be sure to uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel as well. Probably not going to get to that 4,000 subscriber mark before the end of the year. We're winding we down. We're like 350 away or something like that. So we're close. Yeah, make sure you it's sub possible. if you aren't subbed already. Yeah, we'd appreciate the support as always. Yeah, we're only 310 away. We're only 310 away. We can do it. There's probably 310 people who listen to this podcast who aren't subbed. So if you just sub, well, they have be to one make of the people to make it down. happen. Yeah, be one of the <laughs> be one of the people to make it happen. Get us the 4K subs. Um, yes, but yeah, so. appreciate you all watching and uh uh yeah, catch y'all. Good luck. Yeah, good luck this weekend. Catch y'all next week, Tuesday morning, 7 a.m. Eastern. Peace.